The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays. And same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and Bet Live. Same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode. For additional details, must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Alrighty, let's roll, baby. It is a special edition of New York, New York, as we all wait with bated breath to see, will he stay or will he go? It's been quite the 24 hours. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I thought at around 520 this afternoon, it was officially done that Aaron Judge had played his last game as a member of the New York Yankees. Because look, John Heyman is usually spot on when it comes to his reporting. And when I see the notification that Orson Judge That's right. Arson Judge is on his way to the San Francisco Giants. There's some profanity. I might have spiked the remote. I might have been sick to my stomach. There might have even been a moment of acceptance in trying to process what's next for the New York Yankees. All of that is going through my mind. And then you get the notification like 20 minutes later. Well, not so fast. So we sit here on Tuesday night. We are taping this on Tuesday night. And the latest is, we don't know what Aaron Judge is going to do. But I think anybody who has listened to me here on New York, New York, you kind of probably get the sense that I have been very calm and very confident throughout this process that Aaron Judge is going to remain a New York Yankee. That's kind of been the JJ company line. Well, I got news for you. The JJ company line is no longer the case. I am very nervous that Aaron Judge is going to leave. How can you not be? From the Heyman tweets today, he didn't get that from nowhere. He's clearly well-connected in baseball. To Bayerga tweeting it out, who had Justin Verlander a couple of days ago going to the Mets. Then you throw in the Time Magazine article that came out today, which was 1,000% spot on from Aaron Judge, that he did have an ax to grind with the idea that Brian Cashman and the Yankees leaked the contract details when he didn't want them to do that back in April, and that it bothered him, and that he held a grudge, and that it kind of sticks with him, and you throw in the fact that you got the wife saying, yeah, we fantasized about, you know, we were going to get married, and we were going to go, you were going to go play for the San Francisco Giants, like, all that stuff makes me sick. It's not settling, because here's the problem for the Yankees. There is no plan B. Don't sit there and try to tell me Brian Reynolds Don't try to sit there and tell me Brandon Nimmo. Don't try to say, oh, well, you'll go and sign Correa or or Bogarts instead. Please. You're the Yankees. You cannot lose Aaron Judge. Can't do it. 
I don't care how bad the contract looks in year seven, year eight, year nine. You can remind me. I don't care how bad it looks. You cannot lose Aaron Judge. So I don't know if this is going to be a scare for the Yankees. You saw Aaron Boone talk to the media. He looked spooked. I mean, he looked awful. First of all, his suit and his jacket did not match. Number two, he looked like he aged about 15 years. And I don't blame him because his lineup is going to look a heck of a lot weaker if Aaron Judge is wearing a uh, San Francisco Giants uniform next year. Before the start of today, I probably would have put the judge percentages of coming back at 75 to 80%, which is what we talked about when Jeff Passan joined the show a few weeks ago, and he had kind of a similar percentage. Now, I'm putting it at 50-50, folks. You could say I'm being dramatic. You could say I'm overreacting in the last 24 hours. I'm well within my rights to react to the last 24 hours. Am I, am I not? I have no idea what's going to happen here. And I would love to hear the New York Yankees try to sell the idea of Brian Cashman getting a four-year contract extension and Aaron Judge walking out the door when, oh, by the way, Brian Cashman pissed off Aaron Judge. And the biggest mistake Cashman made, it's not the contract he gave him in April. It's the fact that they go and extend Aaron Hicks. They go and extend Luis Severino, which I supported. Fine move. They couldn't work out a pre-free agency extension with this player two or three years ago when he 1,000% would have taken it. That's kind of why you're in this predicament. And the fact that Aaron Judge bet on himself and had probably the best contract year I've ever seen in the history of the sport. So, tense moments for Yankee fans. I'm tense. I'm on edge. I'm not feeling particularly good. I have a funny feeling we're going to be popping on Spotify Live and posting it here on Spotify and Apple and wherever you get New York, New York, within the next 24 to 48 hours. And I don't know what I'm going to be saying at this point. Whether the Yankees overpaid for Aaron Judge, whether it's a sigh of relief, or it's the postmodem of trying to figure out what's next. Scary, scary times for the New York Yankees. Now, on a much lighter note, I like the Tommy Canely move. And I know it like pales in comparison. I kind of almost feel like I feel so out of place even mentioning it, for goodness sakes. But that's a good move for the bullpen. He's great against lefties. He's a lunatic. I like Tommy Kalen. I'm glad the Yankees are bringing him back. The Mets lose Walker. So you can cross him off the list as far as a pitcher that could be in the middle of the rotation. It seems like Senga is somebody they're in on. He is going to cost you. Any of these pitching contracts are going to cost you. If Taiwan Walker's getting $72 million, and they're talking about Jamison Tyon getting like $80 million, then the Rodones and the Bassets of the world are going to get paid a ton of money. They're going to get paid a ton of money. Uh, I- I'm not feeling great, though. From a Mets perspective, I'd feel fine. They're going to get guys. From a Yankee perspective, listen, I'm very much on edge and very uneasy about what's going to happen over the next couple of days. And don't you worry, we'll have you covered on New York, New York, every which way. And we also have a lot to get to. Daniel Jones in his weekly spot is going to join us. They didn't win, they didn't lose. They tied against the commander. And there's a lot to get to with the giant quarterback, especially the end of the fourth quarter and the end of overtime and how exactly that played out. I had a couple of questions. You're going to want to tune in for that. Sean Fennessy, our pal from the ringer is actually in good spirits about his Mets and his Jets, which is hard to believe because fantasy is usually never in good spirits about any of the sports teams. So we actually got him in a decently good mood. You're going to enjoy that, but just say a prayer. A lot of candle, Yankee fans. You're going to enjoy the rest of this podcast. I'm not going to enjoy the next couple of days if Aaron Judge is wearing a San Francisco Giant uniform. All right, the quarterback of the New York football Giants, Daniel Jones, is up next. So we welcome in the quarterback of the New York football giants, Daniel Jones. He joins us in our weekly spot. And DJ, you'd be proud of me. I was quoting you on TV the other night because we watched the game with the commanders. I work over at SNY as well. And they take footage of you when you meet with the media after the game. And you put it very eloquently, dude. Not a win, not a loss. So your first tie ever. How we feeling, dude? Yeah, it's uh it's a strange feeling, man. It's uh, you know, 
not like I said, not a win, not a loss. So uh, you know, you gotta you gotta be realistic realistic about that. I think we were disappointed. Um, you know, we had a lot of chances to win the game and, and we didn't do that. So I think that was the disappointing part. But um, uh, you know, for us we can't we can't uh you know, we can't put too much into it. Uh we've got to move on, we've got to uh take it for what it is, it's, and that's a tie. So a lot to work on and, and improve on going forward, but um, you know, we can't afford to to get down or or, or too disappointed. DJ, out of curiosity, was there any talk with the guys like after the game saying, man, these rules suck. Like we can't have NFL games ended in a tie like that. I, I understand the 10 minute overtime. Like they don't want you guys playing like four or five overtimes or like baseball players going like 17 or 18 innings because of the wear and tear on your body. But like as you guys are walking off the field and, you know, maybe the last day or two, has there been any chatter like, man, like we can't have ties in the NFL? Uh. Yeah, I mean a little bit here and there. I mean, guys are kind of you know it's not something you see much, and and you don't really think of of football as a as a game that could could end in ties. You know, that's uh, you think of soccer. You know, soccer. You know, you see a lot of ties in the World Cup and stuff like that. But football is not really uh, it's not really you know typical to see it. So I think guys are yeah guys are talking about it a little bit. You know, you see the you understand the reason for the rules and why they do it like they do it. But uh, like I said, it's a it's a weird feeling. So in overtime. And this is where this game got really wonky. There's a lot to dive into here, DJ. But I was so conflicted because I'm one of these guys. Maybe it's because I grew up in Madden. And maybe it's because I like some of the analytics. Like, I love when you guys went for two in that Tennessee game in week one. I think it set a tone for what you guys have been about this year. But, DJ, I got to be honest, dude. Fourth down, even though you were in plus territory in Washington's, what, 44-45? I had no issue with Coach Dable punting the football there because the one thing you can't have there is that you lose the game. You know, you guys pin them back. You ended up getting the ball back anyway, but you're the quarterback of the team. Obviously, you're confident in what you guys were able to do. Were you upset about the fact that you guys ended up punting the football there in that spot? Uh, No, no, I wasn't, I wasn't upset. I understand the thinking there and understand the, the thought process. Um you know, it's, uh, you know, those decisions aren't up to me. So either way, we're going to, we're going to make them work, uh, for sure. But, um, like you said, we, we got the ball back and then we had a chance to, uh, to move it and, and try field goal there at the end. So I understand the thought process and there's, there's people, uh, a lot smarter than me that, that, uh, figure those things out for it. So you guys looked like you were on the verge of having a great comeback win. You fall behind 10 to nothing. You come storming back, dude. We talked about it last week. You said there's certain matchups that you see week to week, Sunday to Sunday, that are going to dictate how much you are going to use your legs. You were using your legs like crazy, dude, on Sunday. That was Vanilla Vic, Daniel Jones, <laughs> taking on the Washington Commanders. So what was it that made you specifically so fired up and so, like, just well aware of the fact that, man, I can really use my legs to my advantage here based upon what we were seeing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was just kind of the way some of those plays worked out. You know, we were moving the pocket a little bit and getting on the edge, and they were doing a good job uh, covering it up. You could tell they had, uh, you know, they had practiced it and, and were ready for some of that stuff. So, um, you know, when you're out of the pocket and, and uh, you have an opportunity to, extend a play and then, uh, you know, get upfield. Uh, just found myself in those situations several times and, and tried to try to take advantage of them the best I could. But, um, yeah, some games work out like that. And, and, you know, that happened to be one of them. DJ, do you feel you're at your best as a quarterback when that is a big part of your game? Obviously, listen, throwing the football is obviously something you're looking to do. That's the nature of being a quarterback. But I feel like when you can combine that threat with your arm, it just, it, it takes your play to another level, at least in my opinion. Do you kind of feel the same way? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that's, um, you know, it's something else for, for defenses to have to be aware of and, and have to account for, um, you know, as a quarterback run. And, and you see a lot of teams uh, that are having success doing, doing it well right now. So um, when I have opportunities to do that, I, I certainly try to take advantage of them. All right, DJ, you guys are up seven. It looks like you guys are going to pull the game out. Fourth down play. I, I don't know how in the world. It looked like Heineke was going to lose 25 yards, for goodness sakes. He gets the miracle heave to Samuel. Washington ends up scoring the touchdown. You guys get the ball back. 
that two-minute drill and unfortunately go three and out. Is that the sequence that when you look back on the game is kind of bothering you the most? Look, you had that deep hookup. I thought you were going to get in the field goal range right there. Slayton, unfortunately, doesn't end up making a catch. But like as you have watched the film now two days after this Washington game, would you say that you and your team, you look back on it, is that is that three and out after Washington tying it what's bothering you the most after the game? Um, yeah, I think it's one of the one of the sequences that's that uh certainly sticking in sticking in all of our all of our minds. Uh, you know, a couple of days now removed from the game. But, you know, like I said, we we had several opportunities to win that game, go down and score points and uh put ourselves in a in a better position um to win the game. So um, that was a that was a critical series where we didn't didn't convert, uh, which was disappointing. But but there were uh, a couple of other instances too that were uh, that were opportunities for us. So gotta gotta look back and see what we can do to improve there. So when we're watching at home, it's obviously very different than you guys on the field. When they zoom out on those field goals, DJ, especially when you're talking about the long field goals, like I saw it last week with Justin Tucker when it was like a 66 yarder. McManus had one. Your guy Gano, who's automatic. I mean, that's a brutal kick in like 58 yards. It's freezing cold at MetLife Stadium. Did you guys know like right away, like, damn, it's short? Or like, because for us on TV, it looks like it's going in. I'm like, does it have enough? And then you just see it fall short. Like, it's a different perspective being on the sideline, right? You guys kind of know? Yeah, a little different perspective. Uh, We can see it. Um, But uh, yeah, Graham's been been automatic the whole year, stepped up and, and made a bunch of big kicks for us. So. Um, you know, that one didn't, didn't go our way, but, but, uh, he's been huge for us all year. So you guys are smack dab right in the middle of all this playoff conversation. And I love it, DJ. They show up. You guys probably don't see this stuff. I do. Cause I watch all the games every Sunday The in the hunt graphic, the team that's in. And I know it's cliche. If you guys take care of your business, if you guys do what you are supposed to do and win these games, you're going to be playing in the postseason, which is going to be super cool for a whole lot of Giant fans. But curiously, now these next couple of weeks, your game is going to be your focus. I understand that. But is there a little bit of scoreboard watching? I know the Commanders are on by this week. Uh, Seattle is a team that's right neck and neck with you. Like you guys coming in like, oh, how'd they do? Is there is there any of that in the locker room or is it just, hey, focus on our business? We don't got to worry about that crap. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's most of it is, is you gotta, you gotta focus on, on what you're doing and, and taking care of, taking care of our business first. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think I'd be lying to say that you don't look at other scores and keep up with, with how other teams are doing. And, and, um, you know, every, everyone sees that and, and understands that we're all competitive, uh, competitive guys, but, um, you know, we, we know we gotta, gotta focus on our stuff first. That's the only way it's going to work out for us. So I'm one of these scheduling geeks, DJ. I love it because I plan my Sundays around you guys. That's what I do, man. I, I, You got to understand, like, you guys are like, yeah, we have a game, whatever. We're about our business. Me, I'm like, oh, all right, we got a giant game Sunday night. Or we got a giant game Sunday afternoon. I mean, I'm watching all the games anyway, but I love when you guys are standalone. I, that's all I got to worry about now on Sunday night. You guys will be playing the Commanders in a couple of weeks on Sunday night football. And I didn't realize this. This will be your first ever. Sunday night football game. How's that sound, dude? Yeah, that that'll be uh, that'll be exciting. You know, you grow up watching Sunday night football, and Sunday night football is a, a certainly a big deal. So, um, you know, that'll be that'll be a fun one for us. You know, we got we got Philly first. So that's what that's what we're focused on now. It's preparing to, to play our best ball on Sunday against Philly, but uh, we'll be fired up uh, the following week for sure. And you mentioned the Philadelphia Eagles. That is going to be a raucous environment on Sunday. Uh, DJ, they're the best team I've seen in the NFC so far this year. They are well-rounded. They can run the football. They got weapons. They're terrific on defense. What is going to be the biggest challenge for you specifically? You guys need every win you could get in order to get into the postseason. This would be a monster statement win for you guys, for you specifically, for your coach across the board. What's the biggest challenge you see in going up against this Eagles team? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just playing a playing a sixty minute game, um, playing as well as we can, start to finish. Like you said, they're they're a good team. They got an explosive offense. They got a really strong defense. So, uh, you know, we can't afford to, uh, you know, have lapses or, or 
uh, mistakes here and there that, that uh, prevent us from, from playing our best football. And that's always a challenge. I mean, I think Washington, uh, you know, there were several, several cases where we weren't uh, in the right spot, didn't do the right things ourselves. So, so that's where we're focused is, is on what we got to do to, to take care of our, our own business first. But they're a good team. They're a good defense. They got a really good front uh, and they're good in the back end too. So we'll be ready for it, but certainly focus on us first. DJ, I got to say it, dude. The uniforms last Sunday were straight fire. I love them, man. They like are the shades of my childhood, the shades of the 80s Giants. I don't know if you have any pull over there. Can we make that like more of a, do you guys like those uniforms more out of curiosity? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think all the guys like them. Uh, everyone I've talked to certainly, uh, certainly likes them. I think they're pretty sweet too. So um, I don't know. I don't know what... Uh, what the plan is going forward or, or what, uh, what they want to do. But, um, yeah, I think those are, those uniforms are sweet for sure. Do you like the blue ones or the white ones more? I don't know. I don't know. I like, I like them both. They're both sweet. sharp, man. It's a tough yeah. call. I lean towards the blue, uh, personally. Like I gotta know, like if someone's going to get a Daniel Jones Christmas Jersey and I guarantee you there are a lot of people out there listening to the podcast. They're like, yeah, I want my Danny Jersey. I want it <laughs> under the Christmas tree. The quarterback might as well tell us which one he likes more. So when he sees it in MetLife Stadium, he's like, yeah, JJ yeah. and DJ talked about that. We got to get that jersey, dude. Yeah. Uh, I, li- I like them both. You know, we we haven't uh, haven't had the best games in the white ones uh, is the only thing. So I might lean toward the blue with you. Hey, listen, whatever it <laughs> takes to win, I, I think that's a good way to look at it. You've had more mm-hmm. success in the blue color rush jerseys in the vintage throwback. So there's your answer from the quarterback. All right, dude. I didn't get my Christmas tree yet because my apartment, we just got back from Florida. There's shit all over the place. It's a disaster right now. At least my office is okay to talk to you. I, I don't know if you even have time to decorate for Christmas or whatnot, but like, are you a, are you a real tree guy, fake tree guy? Where, where do we stand on that? I'm a, I'm a real tree guy. Uh, normally I'm like, uh, you know, last minute getting a Christmas tree or I don't even know if I got one last year, but uh, since we played on Thursday last, last week, I was able to, to uh, run out on on uh, Friday and grab one, so I got a I got a good tree. It's uh, pretty big. I got like nine foot ceiling, so I went for the nine wow, foot trick. Wow, I like it. A bit. So it's like, but uh, that means you need a lot of ornaments, though, DJ. That means yeah. you need a lot. You got to have like mom, dad, or all, all your family sending you like Christmas ornaments. I I can even get you one if you need it. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, send me send me what you got. I get you some like peanuts or like Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer stuff. We we can't we can't stop with that <laughs> stuff around here. So, are you a Christmas movie guy or not really? Uh, I like I like Christmas movies. Yeah, I think uh, you know all the classics. Uh, you know, Elf, Polar Express, The Grinch. Do you have a I favorite? Mean, What's your favorite? Favorite? I mean, it's probably it's one of those three. I mean, um, probably probably Elf. You can never go wrong with Elf. You can never go wrong with Elf. You kind of struck me as a Home Alone kind of guy, though. I thought you might drop that in there. Yeah, uh, I I definitely watched the other three more. Definitely watched the other three more. But what's uh, what's your go-to? Man, that's a tough question. That's a tough question. Probably Home Alone, too. I'm a New York kid. You know, the scene is in New York. Joe Pesci, Macaulay Culkin. I'm I'm in, DJ. I'm in. I always like the second one more than the first one. Just throwing that out there. Okay. All right. The New Yorker in me. I'm biased, bro. I mean, yeah. come on, man. I live in New York. Chicago, New York. No, 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 no. I'm going, I'm going to New York. All right, DJ. Uh, let's wrap it up here. The Eagles on Sunday. This is a monster test for you guys. You guys have played some terrific defenses this year. You've played some terrific teams. I think this is the best team you've played all year. If you guys are going to pull off this win, which I think would mean the world as far as trying to get into the postseason. You guys win this game. I think you're in great shape to do so. What's the biggest key in your opinion? Um, I think some of the things we talked about earlier, I think it's, it's playing a, you know, a full game, playing 60 minutes of our best football. And, and uh, you know, we'll need to uh, convert in key situations. I think, uh, you know, we talked about the third down and, and red zone being, being great in those situations, sustaining drives and, and then, uh, you know, finishing the end zone. So, uh, you know, we'll look to do those things. Uh, they're a talented group, good team uh, across the board. So we'll have a plan for it. But um, I think if we do those things and, and uh, take care of our business, uh, we'll be in good shape. Daniel Jones, good luck on Sunday. We will chat next week. And 
you know, maybe I'll send you a Syracuse out of the orange for your Christmas. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think DJ's putting that one up. <laughs> uh, maybe if I get the Daniel Jones bobblehead, I will put that up. We got to work on that. Maybe, all maybe right. that'll be something someone has to give me for Christmas, you know? Yeah. All right. There we go. DJ, go get him on Sunday, bro. We'll be rooting. All right. All right. Appreciate it, JJ. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at UGG.com. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. So very eventful times for our next guest because his New York Jets are trying to make the postseason and his beloved New York Mets pivot from one Hall of Famer to another Hall of Famer in the rotation. Sean Fennessy, welcome back to New York, New York. It's been a while. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, JJ. Thanks for having me back. I'm so excited to talk about my rising franchises. Everything's feeling good. Uh, everything's feeling good except for the Knickerbockers who are a total waste of time. I don't even want to talk, we don't about, talk the about the Knicks about with them. you right no, now. We Honestly, don't talk about I'm... The, the apathy that I have towards the Knicks, uh, don't get me started. I didn't even want to go there. I got to start with the Mets stuff because you are probably old enough, right, to remember losing Daryl Strawberry. You you look young. Yeah. So, you know, I have to, for me, I don't remember Daryl as, as a Met. I don't remember Daryl as a Dodger. Like my sports fandom, 94, 95, Daryl's out of baseball. He ends up with the Yankees. He ends up winning all these World Series. Would you equate DeGrom leaving the Mets to the way you felt when Strawberry left the Mets or no? Because there was just too much of, dare I say, connecting the dots, alluding to the fact that Jake was probably going to leave. No, I mean, when I was a fan of Straw, I was five, six, seven, eight years old, you know, and he was a, he was a heroic figure, especially when you're a kid, guys who hit home runs are all you really think about. Um, but he was a, such a troubled guy. And that story was way more complicated. I think what made that a little bit, bit more challenging, this was true for Doc Gooden too, is they both went to New York again and had great success with your club. And so that hurt a little bit, I think, because Mets fans felt like 86, just getting one in 86 was not enough. I mean, that, that team should have had two, three World Series and they didn't get them. The thing that I thought of a little bit when DeGrom split, and this is by no means the same because these two guys did not mean the same thing to the franchise, but I thought of Mike Hampton. I mean, Mike Hampton leaving a pretty good Mets team to take the money and the schools. Because he wanted to go to the Colorado schools. Yeah. I remember that. You know, oh, yeah. That, that is a little bit of what the Sagram thing felt like, which is that Hampton didn't love New York. He wanted the most money possible. He wanted to get away from that spotlight. And, you know, it's, it's, you, you've talked about it. It's been talked about ad nauseum for the last, since Friday night. Jacob Sagram didn't really want to be in New York. That's depressing. Uh, he's pretty clearly the best Met of my lifetime. I, I, I'm not really sure that there's anybody since 1982 that is really on his level with the exception of Mike Piazza. So from a pitching perspective, you know, he, he was the logical successor to the Tom Seaver mantle. And so it's painful to see him go. And I loved rooting for him. Watching him pitch when he was on, there was nothing like it in New York sports. But if he didn't want to be here, he didn't want to be here. And I feel like the way that the club responded was kind of amazing. I mean, within seven, I agree with that. Within seventy-two about hours, they, they filled the hole. You were in a position where you're talking about maybe the best to the second best Met of your lifetime leaving, and you're not dealing with all of this sadness because your team acts like a big boy. They do. You go and sit at the big boy table. You go and shop at Tiffany. So you lose Degrom, and a couple of days later, it's two years. Monster money for Justin Verlander, who just won a World Series who just won the AL Cy Young. And it just goes to show you, the Mets aren't messing around. It was DeGrom, no problem. And fantasy, I don't know about you, I'd much rather have two years of Justin Verlander than five years of brittle Jacob DeGrom for the money he got in Texas. I don't even think it's close. Yeah, there's a little voice in the back of my mind that is concerned that the way that Jacob DeGrom handled himself in the last couple of years was with the expectation 
that he was going somewhere else and wanted to have a long-term career and a long-term contract. Everybody, every Met fan I know is rationalizing this to themselves. I think very understandably that because we only saw basically, what, 20, 25 starts out of the Grom over the last two seasons, that he's brittle. Prior to those injuries, though, he was not brittle. He pitched 28, 29, 30 starts a season, not unlike Verlander. Maybe he has arm trouble now. Maybe he has elbow trouble now. It's possible. I think going to Texas is like a baseball wasteland at the moment, so that's kind of a joke. But if he goes out and wins another Cy Young, I won't be shocked. He's still Jacob deGrom. He's, he's still is do, he still did things last season that took your breath away. He also got absolutely hammered by guys like O'Neill Cruz. So it really feels like it could go two ways with him. The Verlander thing is exciting just because it's a lower commitment, like you say, two years. They already had that money earmarked for Jake, so they just hand him that money. The question is, are they actually the big boys that they are claiming to be with every move that happens henceforth? Do they pay Kodai Senga? Do they pay Brandon Nimmo? I, I, I'm getting the sense that maybe they're a little gun-shy on having more than one more big contract for the rest of the offseason. Now, that already takes them over $300 million and makes them you know, the highest payroll club in baseball. But I, I, this is not a $400 million team that they're No, building. I agree with that. It's weird that we're talking about this payroll in that sort of way because they're a good team, Fantasy. But we watched the series against the Padres. We saw the team break down in the month of September. They are far from a finished product. There's still work that needs to be done. And you didn't even mention the fact that now you're kind of pinning your hopes in many ways on not one, but two 40-year-olds. And I understand they're studs and they're future Hall of Famers. And I'm not saying they can't be great. Like, it's tough to knock Justin Verlander. But we saw Max Scherzer break down last year. Verlander is 40. Like the idea that you got two guys of that age and that's your hope for the next two or three years winning a title, that would scare me a little bit, Fennessy. It is a little scary. The thing that you like that that we've been hearing nonstop is that between Max and Verlander, these are two of the most competitive guys and two of the most forward-thinking guys in all of baseball pitching. That they are constantly looking for the edge and that they, on on their pitching days, I saw Jim Leland talked about this today, the days when they're pitching, they're almost impossible to be around because of how hyper-focused they are on succeeding. Now, I hope Verlander brings that even at age 40. The challenge to me, though, is, and I'm curious what you think about this, they're a little bit betwixt and between because I think even now, just on paper, they're basically somewhere between a 90 and 95-win club. And that's good. That means they're probably going to the playoffs in one way or another. And if they're if their older aces stay healthy, they've got a good chance. But they have to mix in their youth this season. They have to let Brett Beatty play. They have to let Francisco Alvarez play. They have to figure out what they're doing at DH. Maybe Vientos is getting 200, 300 at-bats this season. And those guys are going to be rookies, and they're going to struggle. And when they're struggling, are fans going to be patient with that? Is the club going to be able to support that? Because if you don't build the... Like, if you don't let them walk across the bridge that they're building with Scherzer and Verlander, then there's no point in even building it in the first place. And so I'm kind of curious to see what kind of offense this team has because we talked about it over the summer. If Lindor and Alonzo were not hitting, this team was not succeeding. And they're going to kind of be in that same spot this year. And I don't know how they resolve that. I think it's a great point. I think what they're trying to do, they are trying to emulate the Dodgers. The Dodgers have big money, they have big contracts, bets, Freeman, et cetera, et cetera. But they're looking for the next young guy to step up, whether that's Bueller, or Urias, or Gavin Lux. That's Will Smith. That's how they operate, where they have a couple of those monsters, and then they kind of ease in a young guy. And I think, to your point, I think that's what they're going to look to do. I think Alvarez is going to be their DH. I think they're hoping that Alvarez can come in. They're going to forget about him playing the catcher's position. They're going to say, all right, big boy, go try and be Miguel Cabrera. Go try and be Matty Ramirez. I'm not saying he's going to be able to do that, God, but that's wouldn't that what be they amazing? want. <laughs> Well, I mean, you'd be giddy. Listen, one of the best prospects in all baseball. Yep. I think they make him the DH. Beatty's interesting. Can he give you something? Can he provide pop? Whether that's at third base, whatever the case may be. To me, those two guys are a part of the equation. Nimmo's the interesting one. Fantasy, I like him. He's a hardworking guy. He's gotten better every year. He had a very good season. Jeff Passon came on with me, I want to say, two weeks ago. He told me $140 million. For Brandon Nimmo, I almost spit up my coffee. I was like, come on, man. Like, he's a good player. I like Brandon Nimmo. I cannot get Brandon Nimmo $140 million, dude. I can't do it. 
I, I heard your conversation with Jeff and it hurt to hear that. And yet, it makes a lot of sense because this stuff is not about pure value. It's circumstantial. It's about the context. When you take Brandon Nimmo off the market, who's the next best center fielder on the market right now? Well, there is none. That's, that's, the that's thing. what it boils down to. You could put Marte in center field. Do they want to do that? 34 that's the going on 35, injury prone. It's dangerous. Omar Manaya told me, and he's tight with, with Starling Marte. He said that would be a disaster. He, now that's Omar. And Omar's been around a lot of front offices. He said, JJ, you don't want to do that. I'm like, Omar, that's fine. I can't give Brandon Nimmo $140 million over the next few years. And especially fantasy, he's not the most durable guy in the world. Last year he played, but you looked throughout his career, he's missed a lot of time. I know. I'm hopeful that he has resolved the health issues. Nimmo, one, is a very strong on-base guy. Obviously, he's a good clubhouse guy, very energetic. He has no throwing arm in center field. And there were a handful of games this year in which that bit them. And so... There are a couple. He made. He made. A, he makes extraordinary plays. He's, he's completely changed the way that he covers the field. Like going back to 2015, they showed analysis of how he was completely inept at covering center field, and now he has become one of the best in the league. But there are just a few things that gnaw at me about his game, and so I agree that 140 million kind of makes my head hurt. I I would say at the start of the season, I thought it would be more like five for 90 or five for 100, and now it feels like it might be five or six for 130, 140, which is that's just a lot for a player like Nimmo, who who the hell knows what he's going to be when he's 34, 35 and leading off. But you know what? I thought about this with Trey Turner yesterday too, and he just got an 11-year contract. So Trey Turner with one bad leg injury, that, that, that contract is an abomination. No, he's not going to look like the same player, but I also think I could get five to six elite years out of that guy. I agree. With I the agree. way he's built, he's got that sort of baseball body type to him, athletic, a great runner. It just does everything on the baseball field. And that's the problem, Fantasy. Like, the Mets, to me, are a good team. You said it. 90 to 95 wins. I expect you to be in the playoffs. Can you say with certainty right now they're better than the Braves? I'd say no way. No. And, dude, are they better than the Phillies? I'm not sure about that. I think it's 50-50 at best. Yeah, it's honestly a bit. It really depends on what the Phillies and the Mets do with their bullpens in the offseason because they both have the same problem there. Um, it's just honestly heartbreaking that we finally got Steve Cohen as an owner and two of the six teams that are trying to win are the Phillies and the Braves. Like They're in your division. It's yeah. so brutal. You know, I mean, and you know this for years with Toronto and the Red Sox and the Yankees fighting to the death while the Rays have the best developmental system in the sport. Like the two Eastern divisions in baseball are just in a different class in terms of how they're trying to spend. Now, the West may get better over time. In, in the AL, the West may, you know, the, the Padres, amazingly, apparently offered $345 million to Trey Turner. I don't know how no. the Padres continue to find this money, by the way. It's, I mean, it's San Diego. God bless him. For hey, shout friends. out to that owner. That's fucking cool, man, that that guy is willing to spend that much money to build such a great team. But I, it's it honestly just sucks that, one, the Braves have this system where they have managed to extend all of their young talent into 2027. And so that, that nucleus is going to be around forever. And the Phillies, you know, they have a Dombrowski team. Dombrowski teams spend at the top of the market at key positions of need. And he's now done it in a few years in a row. So it's painful. That being said, at the end of the day, we still have Steve Cohen. You know, we still have Steve Cohen. And Steve Cohen, it seems like every once in a while, he just says, fuck it. He just says, I just want to do what I want to do. And if it ruffles some feathers, so be it. But if I have to give Justin Verlander $43 million, I'm going to do it. And I, I love that. I mean, I've never really rooted for a team that has an owner that spends that way, that, that operates in that fashion. So it's weirdly kind of thrilling to be in an offseason with my favorite team. I totally get it. And it's the polar opposite of what you had for so many years yeah. with the Mets throughout the entirety of your life. And now I kind of feel like I'm, I'm in your position as a Yankee fan that was used to shopping at Tiffany's. And now I'm like, all right, well, what is my team going to do? Um, and right now we're taping this at 422 in the afternoon. So if Aaron Judge signs with the San Francisco Giants, I think you know what I'm going to be like later on tonight. Yeah, um, <laughs> that might not. That, yeah. This conversation might not lead your pot if that happens. <laughs> well, I was going to say, listen, the Mets got a lot cooking right now, but if Aaron Judge is wearing a giant uniform, I'm going to be losing my mind. Um, the rotation. Yeah. Verlander shirts are awesome. Carrasco will be there. If Sean Fantasy could be in Billy Epler's shoes, who are the one or two starters in the back end that you want to add, if any? Well, if they're good, if they're planning on taking a step back offensively by not re-signing Nimmo, I would actually like to see them make a move 
in a trade rather than lay out for Rodon or Senga. For like a gallon then, somebody along gallon the lines of or that. Burns or Woodruff or one of those arms on, you know, one of those middle class ball clubs that, and they're going to have to overpay to get one of those arms, but I would be comfortable with them overpaying because then you would just say, this is our strength. They kind of have to hope that they get about 70 starts from Scherzer, Verlander, and Cookie. If they get that many starts, and then you're basically hoping that some combination of this number three that you're either signing or trading for, Peterson and McGill and Lucchese and Alicia Hernandez are giving you the rest of the starts for the year. Peterson and McGill are going to be way more important to this team than people think. 1,000%. And are you with me on Bassett? I don't want Bassett back. I... He broke my heart because I was such a fan of his this season. I me thought, too. I praised him all season. Fantasy, all season I praised the guy. And I'm telling you, the comments before the last two starts, because I'm doing my TV hits on SNY, so I hear like the post game. Normally, I don't watch the post game for 50 minutes. It's, uh, I can't. I, can't. I, was, I watch 10 minutes. That's all I mm-hmm. need to see. I hear Buck. I'm done. But when you hear these players talk all the time, I kept hearing Bassett. And I'd be like, dude. Enough complaining about New York. Like, it, it, it got to the point where I noticed it. And for me to notice it when a lot of the times it's like a whole lot to do about nothing, that kind of like had me make a mental note of it. And then I see him against the Braves, his biggest start of the year he choked. And then his biggest start in the postseason, he was even worse. It's so tough, though, because in July and August, when Scherzer was down and DeGrom was not back, he was an absolute bulldog. I feel no, like he was he, really good. I feel like he beat the Phillies like five times this year, all with like grit and 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 nibbling and using his stuff. And I, I, he really impressed me. So watching him blow that game to the Braves, watching him blow that game to the Padres, was just crushing and frustrating. He's not a high end pitcher, but he's he was certainly among the two or three best number three starters in baseball last year. You can't underrate that. If he's trying to get five years, you can't give him five years. That's crazy. That's, well, that, I think that's at this point, with the way these teams are spending money and the need for starting pitching fantasy, I think a team like Simmons, Boston Red Sox could go and give him a five-year yeah, monster you're right. contract. He would be a good fit there, too. Um, yeah, because they desperately need they need somebody at the top of that rotation. But if they walk away with Jameson Tyon or God forbid Andrew Heaney, I think that's a disappointment, and and fans are going to be. Frustrated. You don't want Tyon, trust me on that. And I, somebody told me the other day that he's going to get like I'm like Jameson Tyon is going to get seventeen or eighteen million dollars a year. It's crazy. It's crazy. But you know this is this is what is happening in the sport is there are eight or nine teams that are willing to spend aggressively, and if they're going to do it, there's going to be a market for those players. There always is. I, I, the number three spot is really, really tough because there's a part of me that thinks that one of those guys out of that, you know, Peterson, McGill, Lucchese group has to take a leap this year. I and agree it, with that. I think McGill could be the guy. It seems, I like it McGill a lot. Po- if he stays healthy, it seems possible. And God, I'd love to see one of those guys get 180 innings and, you know, win 16 ball games for them. It, it feels like it's possible. Maybe that's just some wish casting. But if they do that, you don't, maybe you don't need to sign Kodai Senga for six years and $80 million. But you never know. I mean, I, it's really, really hard to say. It doesn't feel like a ton more deals are coming during the winter meetings for some reason. It feels like because there's a lot of Boris clients, because the market has been slow to develop beyond those top three guys, it might be a month or so before we really have answers to some of these questions. Well, there's one question I need an answer to. And I, again, continue to hint at this. I'm going to just keep driving Fennessy and Simmons nuts until Aaron Judge ends up signing a contract. But <laughs> because I have you, your New York Jets are playing meaningful December football for the first time since 2015. I think you have an excellent chance to make the postseason. You have said goodbye to Zach Wilson. Are you all aboard Mike effing White? 100% in. 100% on board. I thought his play at times on Sunday was thrilling. Like, really, um, maybe two or three performances I can think of in the last 10 years from the quarterback position for the Jets that were, were as exciting as that. And if you look at his stat line, you're like, oh, he threw it 57 times. He had two picks, no touchdowns. You wouldn't understand some of the throws he made and how exciting that was. And also just showing... I think what a lot of fans have felt like for the last four months, which is there's some legitimate freaking offensive talent. Oh, Garrett Wilson's a stud. I mean, I mean, Garrett, think about what Garrett Wilson has done with a quarterback who can throw the ball. Flacco can't move, but he can throw the ball. He put up numbers. Zach comes back. He doesn't put up numbers. All of a sudden, you go to Mike White, and Garrett Wilson's like a 150-yard machine. He should automatically be targeted 15 times every game. 
There's just no question about it. Him in space is one of the most exciting things in New York sports right now. So you've got, obviously you've got Wilson, but you still have more. Bam Knight out of nowhere, undrafted free agent, looks like a starting running back in the NFL. Obviously, they're getting the tight ends more involved because White sees the whole field. It's pretty exciting in that way. Now, I think I'm, I'm a little less bullish on their playoff chances because I think they have a secretly tougher schedule than people realize. No, the schedule is not easy it's because not. you hit on it. Buffalo in a revenge game. Game is on the road. They're basically a double digit on the dog. I'm not banking that on a win there. Game, that Lion game is going to be hell for you guys. They are playing much better football. Hutchinson's a beast. They can put up points. That's not an easy game. Now, I expect you to beat Jacksonville. Jacksonville at home Agreed. is That's a game the one you I'm should win. On. Yes. But then the last two at Seattle, who desperately is going to need the game. And then who knows in week 18, are the Dolphins fighting for the playoffs? Are the Dolphins in and fighting for the division? Are the Dolphins in and can't win the division? And then all of a sudden, it's a game where they're putting the feet up and you're seeing Skylar Thompson for the second time. There's too much uncertainty, fantasy, to say what that Dolphin game is going to be. But 10 to me is the number. Do you look at 10 as the magic number for the Jets? I think if they get to 10, they're in. It's definitely the number. And I am, you know me, I am cynical and, and not optimistic Very. by nature. I like optimistic fantasy, though. I, I'm getting that I, out of you now. I'm, I'm optimistic out of Mike, for Mike White. But this kind of feels like a nine-win season. And if you told me that they went into, you know, they played Detroit and they went into Seattle and lost those games, I wouldn't be shocked. Those aren't bad teams. Those are good teams. And it was just three weeks ago that we were like, we're not totally sure if this is actually a good Jets team. Now, you beat the Bills. You know, you felt like you would have beaten New England twice if you didn't have Zach Wilson under center. And you almost beat Minnesota in Minnesota. And you feel like you're a good team. But I don't know. I mean, I... Nine and eight, if you would have told me nine and eight at the beginning of the season, I would have been ecstatic. Oh, you would have been dancing. Ecstatic. You would have been dancing. I guess the only caveat that I would throw to that nine and eight is the fact that Zach Wilson has been as bad as he I know. has been. And it's a situation where the young talent on this team took off. The quarterback did not. And I guess this is the grand question. 2023, is the Jet starting quarterback on the roster, yay or nay? I think it's going to be Mike White. Now, if wow, you, it, it, you're in. If no you, Jimmy G, no Derek Carr, you're in. Well, Jimmy G breaking his foot is a bad break. And I think that that actually probably scares off potential suitors because he's gotten hurt again. Derek Carr, I don't, that Raiders, I'm out on Carr. That, I'm out on but Carr. But that Raiders team should be like eight and four right now. They should, that, their record should not be their record. They have no, too much talent. They've up a lot of games. They screwed up a lot of games and I feel like the Raiders know that and they're not going to give up on Carr. Probably d- comes down to what McDaniels thinks of Carr. If Carr is on the market, I, I think that they should pursue Carr personally because I think... Interesting. Carr, you like Carr more than Garoppolo. I do. I do. Um, I think Carr... on the opposite. I like Garoppolo in that system a little bit more. Obviously, I wonder, he, you worry about Carr at all in New York? He's a very emotional guy. I... I don't, I don't know how he'd jive in New York. He could be a rock star. He could be a disaster. Guys like playing with him, though. Like, look they at, do. Look at Devontae Adams. I mean, he was desperate to get out of Green Bay so he could re-team with his guy. And Adams is having an unreal season. So I, there's something about Carr being able to be basically a 30-touchdown-a-season guy that the Jets have had vanishingly few of over the last 50 years that is appealing to me. Now, honestly, if it turned out to be Mike White, I think that's best-case scenario. That's incredible for your salary cap. That's incredible for your club and for, for developing talent around each other. Those guys love Mike White, love him in the locker room. So if he actually is a legitimate NFL quarterback, that's just that's a, an incredible scenario for Joe Douglas to then build around because you can actually go out and pursue more talent. You don't have to worry about paying your quarterback $25 million next year. So it's such an intriguing thing. I really hope they go out and win three games. I hope they go to the playoffs. I hope they get some experience. And I hope Mike White is the QB. I think that's the best case scenario. Am I 100% convinced of that? No. You'd be crazy to be 100% convinced. Mike White's played five games in the NFL. But I love cynical fantasy all aboard the Mike White train. I love seeing this side of you. He I was do. slinging it, JJ. He was slinging Dude, it on Sunday. Listen, as someone who had a Jets plus three ticket in his hands, I was loving every minute of it. And then I used all sorts of profanity that I'm not going to use right now on the podcast to describe Braxton Berrios dropping the ball. So, uh, it was tough. That was a tough way to lose. Before we say goodbye, I know you're a Hollywood TV uh, pop culture aficionado. White Lotus Season 2, vastly superior to White Lotus Season 1. Do you agree? Definitively agree. Way more fun. It's not even close. Way more fun. It's not even close. Yeah. I mean, between F. Murray Abraham, <laughs> the, 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 the four... Rela- I, dude, I can't... 
Now, you know what my issue is Sunday. Now, I never watch it live because, mm-hmm. you know, I have to do a podcast. Yeah. I'm watching all the football. Sunday night comes on. Kate goes to me. She goes, can we watch live this week? I go, Kate, do you know who's playing Sunday night football? <laughs> I was like, we're not missing two with takedown Justin Herbert. No, 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 no. We'll watch. We'll watch at midnight, hopefully after I celebrate, because I'll do the pod right after the four o'clock games. Watch my Dolphins and then stay off Twitter and White Lotus at midnight. Away you go. That's a tough one. You Can you watch a Dolphins game not being online? Just putting your phone down? Uh, well, here's my issue. I live in a building where I do not have a satellite dish. So I get DirecTV streaming. I have my Verizon set up. So usually my setup fantasy for what it's worth is Jet a Giant. Now the Jets and the Giants play at the same time now all the time. Yep. So like, People even ask me, they're like, how do you watch everything? I go, you just do. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how I do it. But usually I go Jet or Giant on one of the locals. The other screen is that game. I do the four box of whatever four games I want to watch. And if the Dolphins are playing at the same time, they get their own screen. So uh, it's nice that Sunday they are a standalone game. So I don't have to worry about any of this crap. But yeah, man, we uh, we find a way, bro. But, we if find you, a way. but if you look at Twitter... And you try to log in to no, complain about it. Mike McDaniel and the Mm-mm. play calling, then you might get Can't White Lotus it. spoiled for you. So be careful I, out there. I will be staying far, far away. Um, thanks for a couple of minutes. Next time I have you on, we'll uh, dissect the season finale. And who knows? Maybe I'll be a character on season three. You never know. Yeah, you might be if uh, you murder Brian Cashman for not re-signing uh, Aaron Judge. So I wish you luck. Thanks, JJ. We'll work on that. Show on fantasy. The super talented show on fantasy. All right, we'll come back and uh, set the stage for the weekend coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, you want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Well, we'll have to wait and see what the next 24 to 48 hours provide. However, we are going to have a same-game parlay on FanDuel for the Knicks game. You want to check that out. We're also going to have a little fun with an SGP for the Jets and the Bills coming up on Sunday. So you want to check all that out on FanDuel. We'll have our Football Friday show. Whenever Aaron Judge signs, we'll have you covered. We'll have it posted immediate. That's what we do. We don't mess around, New York, New York. Would you expect anything else? Come on now. Clown question, bro. Great job by the esteemed Stefan. I want to say we'll talk Thursday. I got a feeling we'll be talking sooner than that. Who the hell knows? Until then, JJ signing off. Be good. Enjoy your Wednesday, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, you want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.